I was invited by Tanya Plibersek to meet her at the Malabar headland in eastern Sydney. Um, Tanya, is this a regular walk you do? Yeah, I'm, I really like this walk. Yeah. Um, I do this. Um, I haven't done it for a Which months, yeah. is an ancient indigenous meeting ground. Uh, it's a very beautiful stretch of the coastline. You just feel like you're a million miles from the city as soon as you get around this corner here. Yep. Um, I really, I love bushwalking generally, but I particularly love bushwalking near the ocean. Yes. It's a walk that Tanya likes to do regularly, and she is uh, a fitness devotee who believes it's very important to stay in good shape physically and mentally so as to be up to the job. So, um... You didn't put your hand up for this portfolio. No, I, I kind of expected to keep education and women, but I'm delighted to have it. I mean, I think we expected Terry Butler to win her seat. So we had been walking for a while before I put it to Plibersek that there is a narrative that her appointment to this portfolio was, in fact, a political kneecapping. A, a political kneecapping, Tanya. <laughs> Wow. And her response was immediate and she didn't miss a beat and she said... I'm so grateful to be a Cabinet Minister in a Labor government. It's so much more than I ever thought I would achieve in my career, ever. And she said, in fact, the first day I walked into Parliament House as a staffer, I just thought all my dreams had come true and there's no way on God's earth that I would ever be churlish about being a cabinet minister in a Labour government. I, I tried again and I asked her. So is it more the case that, that, that Albanese is, has, has picked someone who, who may even be more capable than him to run the most difficult portfolio? And at that point... Plibersek almost separated herself from me physically on the track even further. I mean, she was a fast walker, so I was already having trouble keeping up. And and she answered, I'm not going to comment on that. I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> um, I, think, uh, I think it's an acknowledgement that... I, I got the very clear sense that this minister is not interested in drama. She wants to get the job done, and it's a hell of a job. Okay. Um, it's lovely to talk to you again. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. No worries at all. If you've got any details you need to check. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Tanya Plibersek is arguably Labor's most high-profile female politician. Once described as the next female Prime Minister, she rose through the ranks to become Deputy Leader at one point and was most recently the party's education spokesperson. But Labor's election to power after almost a decade in opposition has had unexpected consequences for Plibersek. She's found herself in a new portfolio, facing a new challenge. And it's a monumental one. She's now the Minister for the Environment and Water. In that role, she's responsible for steering Australia's response to unfolding environmental catastrophes. Today, writer and contributor to The Monthly, Chloe Hooper, takes us inside how Tanya Plibersek found herself here and what she plans to do about it. 
It's Monday, September 5. Chloe, I think a good place to start is with the story of how Tanya Plibersek became a politician. Why did she choose Labor and what has her journey up through the ranks of the party been like? Well, Tanya Plibersek is the child of Slovenian immigrants and she is very frank that her parents' experience in their homeland uh, was one of homelessness, hunger, poverty, and they, particularly her mother, really had a difficult journey to make it to Australia and to start a new life. And also, you know, there's only one generation between me and hunger and poverty and um, homelessness. Yes. And I think uh, a, a lot of my generation of migrant kids feel that same sense that you've got to work hard and, and take the opportunities that come your way. Tanya Plibersek was a very serious and diligent child by her own admission and she was always very interested in politics and politics was a a dinner table conversation. She compares herself to other children of immigrants who have a strong sense of wanting to give back but also of wanting to make something of themselves. Uh, A lot of first-generation Australians have that real... um, desire to give something back to the community. They see, you know, how grateful I always felt my parents were ex- very grateful for the, but, you know, being able to come here and live safely and yeah. that. Yeah. She joined the Labor Party at 15 because she was passionate about Aboriginal land rights and believed that the best way of supporting the movement was through political change. She then quit the party a couple of years later over the mining of uranium and she felt very strongly that it should not be mined uh, or sold to the French for atomic testing in, in the South Pacific. She rejoined a few years later believing that throwing rocks from the outside was not going to actually be a way to enact political change. And in 1998, age 28, she was elected um, to the House of Representatives. Mm. And we know that she's had leadership ambitions. She's put her hand up in the past. What can you tell me about that? Well, Tanya Plibersek and Anthony Albanese are, are both from the New South Wales left. And I guess it's easier to be friends when less is at stake. And for a very long time, the New South Wales Labor Party was ruled by the right. And now that this has switched around, it appears that the two consider themselves rivals. I'm very pleased to announce to you all the new deputy leader of the Australian Labor Party, Tanya Plibersek. She is a remarkable Australian. I don't think that there are many countries in the world where someone whose parents came here but nothing with a suitcase each uh, could ever aspire to being a a member of parliament um, and uh, let alone taking on this responsibility that my colleagues have entrusted me with. Uh, Thank you all. In a factional deal, Tanya Plibersek was named Bill Shorten's 
deputy when he took over as as leader and, a, and an uneasy peace held a while Anthony Albanese led a kind of shadow shadow opposition leadership office when Shorten lost the 2019 election Plibersek briefly put up her hand and challenged Albanese for leader she realised she didn't have the numbers and and withdrew. And while all signs pointed to an announcement of her candidacy today, those plans quickly changed when Labor's deputy ruled herself out. In a statement saying, I am overwhelmed by the confidence my colleagues, the union movement and Labor Party members have placed in me. I thank them from the bottom of my heart for their support. But now is not my time. Mm. Okay, and the winner of that leadership battle was, of course, Anthony Albanese, who then went on to win the election. And when that happened, Tanya Plibersek unexpectedly became Environment Minister. Please welcome Tanya Plibersek. Today, as part of my statutory duty as Minister, I am publicly releasing the 2021 State of the Environment Report. It's one of the most important documents in environmental science. And one of her first actions in that portfolio was to publicly release the State of the Environment report at the National Press Club. That report, it's a pretty worrying portrait of of the environment in this country, isn't it? I think that's right. The State of the Environment report does not make for happy reading. But while it's a confronting read, Australians deserve the truth. We deserve to know that Australia has lost more mammal species to extinction than any other continent. It's a five-year report that is written by Australia's preeminent scientists and it describes in 2,500 words an extremely distressing picture We need to know that the Murray-Darling fell to its lowest water level on record in 2019 and that for the first time Australia now has more foreign plant species than native ones. Individually, every one of these revelations is dreadful, but it's only... ...of mass coral bleachings in the Great Barrier Reef, Australia experiencing a plague of marine plastic, and uh, marine animals killed by fishing gear on an industrial scale. Overall, the state and trend of the environment in Australia are poor and deteriorating, with abrupt changes in ecological systems being recorded in the past five years. And it's downhill from there. And we are one of the world's deforestation hotspots with more than 90% of forest being cleared, never being assessed under our environmental laws, laws which are fundamentally broken. When you change the government, you change the country. After a lost decade, after a decade of going backwards, we can't waste another minute. Thank you. I think that for Plibersek and her team entering the environment portfolio and getting this welcome gift um, probably underscored just how um, existentially serious this work is. I think there was probably some grief while actually 
coming to terms with the breadth of the work that needs to be done. We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. The City of London in Andrew O'Hagan's latest novel is crumbling. But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change. Change has to be forced. We live in the end not in countries that are settled places. They're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest, Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Chloe, there's no doubt that the environment portfolio presents a huge challenge. How does Tanya Plibersek plan to meet that challenge? What sense did you get from her about how she might go about trying to solve the problems that are facing her as Environment and Water Minister at a time when we're living on the edge of rolling environmental and ecological disasters? I mean, one thing that she needs to deal with as as quickly as possible is reforming the Australia's environmental laws. And um, the Samuels report was handed down last year, which calls for urgent action. And she has committed to responding to this report by the end of the year. And she sees that there is a, a once in a generation chance to frame these laws, the scale of what she is looking at and the reforms that need to be made are are just so huge. So the detail across forestry, across the reef, across recycling, obviously the Murray-Darling is, is so great. And, and the Murray-Darling basin is our food bowl. And this seems to be the uh, not really just the the drop of poison in the chalice, but the the gigaliters of, of poison. And yet, the, again, the fact that the environment ministry is seen as a poison chalice really shows the extent to which Labor are probably still grappling within their own ranks about how serious the environment ministry is to their success as a government. That's extremely interesting because you would think that given what happened in this election and the way that people voted for climate action, for changes to the way that we conceive of environmental policy, it's it's interesting that this portfolio might not be seen as the most important one that a minister could hold. I think the the huge challenge for Tanya Plibersek is to um, change the way the environment is seen in politics generally, to put it back at the centre of of governance. There there is some brilliant work being done regarding this overseas, and I think that they are trying to import that kind of thinking 
into the way that they account for um, how our economy is functioning. Mm-hmm. And the picture that you've been painting of Tanya Plibersek is really of someone who is studious, committed to the, the detail of her portfolio. But could you tell me any more about what she's like as a person after spending all of the time that you did with her? Well, I think that that, that is very right. Uh, and one of the things that struck me about Plibersek is that she is a very keen reader of fiction and much has been made in the past about her love for Jane Austen. And I, I had a moment of thinking, I'm not going to ask about Jane Austen. I'm not going to ask about Jane Austen. Too predictable. <laughs> I broke. I broke and I asked about Jane Austen. And the thing about Jane Austen and Tanya Plibersek is that Plibersek believes very keenly in honour. and. She believes in the kind of hidden morality of the choices that we make and that it's important to do the right thing regardless of whether anybody is watching you and how that you behave when there isn't a journalist trotting after you with a recorder in her hand is, is the sort of true measure of a person. Yeah, the idea of honour is interesting to think about in this context because I imagine that it's going to be extremely difficult to continue to feel that way when you're faced with these complex environmental decisions. How do you measure what honour even is in that context when you're weighing up how and how much to save of, of our environment? Well, that's right. And I mean, there are a number of moral struggles uh, that confront her in terms of approving gas projects, which as we transition to cleaner energy may be necessary to keep people warm. And I think that uh, her team would argue that this is about equity, that there are a lot of people who actually can't afford solar panels and while we are still transitioning to cleaner energy, how we keep people warm is a moral issue. And yet, you know, we're also looking down the barrel at extinction at a rate that is devastating. I also think there's an issue around what she is able to achieve her ambitions and what will be the will of her party because the truth is this portfolio needs her methodical, diligent, strategic approach but we need urgent environmental action as a country now. Mm. That's the challenge that faces her and, and us, I suppose. And us. Chloe, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ruby. You can read Chloe Hooper's essay on Tanya Plibersek in the monthly magazine and online. From the Saturday paper comes The Food, 
a free weekly newsletter featuring curated recipes from some of the country's leading chefs, including Andrew McConnell, Otama Carey, David Moyle, and Karen Martini. Cook what they cook by subscribing today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Also in the news today, the Greens have called on the RBA not to raise interest rates again before the October budget. Senator Nick McKim said the RBA governor, quote, can't turn around and smash homeowners and renters with rate increases to deal with inflation that they're not causing, while their wages are going backwards in real terms. And NASA was unable to launch the new Artemis 1 moon rocket for a second time on Saturday and could now be delayed until mid-October. The rocket was designed to send astronauts and their equipment back to the moon after an absence of 50 years. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.